Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us. And our prayer is that you would be continually speaking to us and that we would be continually speaking to you. Lord, as we turn our attention now to um, to this passage of Scripture, which was planned months and months and months and months ago, Lord, you knew that we would end up reading this this morning and you knew the kind of week, the kind of month and year that many of us would have had, all of us would have had. So, Lord, would this be your word to us this morning? I pray that, that you would give us insight. I pray that those things that need to be really highlighted to us in order for us to be increasingly conformed to the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be set free from, from sin and from shame and from guilt, from the snares of the enemies, from, from greed and lust and envy and control and selfishness and pride, all those things. Lord God, would you journey us further out of those things and further towards, towards being healed and released and transformed this morning? Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. We are in Corinthians. And thank you, Brooke, this morning for, um, for our song, um, The Wise Man and the Foolish Man. We're going to be talking a little bit about building this morning because that's what Paul is talking about. But before we start, I just I want to give you a word picture. Um, Paul is about to talk in word pictures, but I was reminded of, um, of when the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and the Lord said to him, go down to the potter's house and I'm going to give you a lesson. And so often when the Lord would want to illuminate something in the mind of his people, what he would do is he would give them an object lesson. And as I was sitting and spending time reflecting on this passage of Scripture, I was actually reminded of years ago actually driving through um, a really devastated area in Queensland. Some of you would be familiar with Toowoomba and a little area down the bottom of the hills, well, they're massive hills from Toowoomba. There was a little town called Gatton near where my family live up there. And this town, um, they'd had some incredibly powerful floods happen, and the main street of Toowoomba had flooded. And there was images on the news of cars literally being picked up and swept and carried down the main street of Toowoomba. And Toowoomba is way, way, way up high in the hills. So fierce had the torrential rain been. And this little town of Gatton at the bottom, usually if it was going to flood, the water would gradually come back up from, from one direction, but because it was so fierce and so quick, the water had come from the opposite direction and it had just wiped out this place, absolutely wiped it out. And my uncle and auntie who, were, who lived there and my grandfather who lives there, we'd gone for a drive around and, and there was a, a paddock full of cars. This is about a couple of months afterwards, which had all been fished out of the river and, you know, just covered in mud and everything. And their owners were never coming back for them. For some of them, it would be a long, drawn-out process trying to find out who the owners of these cars even were. But we went past one particular place, and my uncle stopped the car, and he pointed out this slab of concrete, huge, great big slab of concrete. And I said, what's that? And he said, that's someone's house. And he said, it looks as though they've just completed the slab, and they're, they're yet to put the frames up to build the house. He said, but that's all that's left. He said, it was a brick house. And all that's left is a concrete slab, and it had a little bit, a couple little bits of pipe sticking out of it. And I will remember that picture for as long as I live, because then he told the story about the kids 
who, who managed to escape out of the back window of the house and get up high enough and they watched as their, as their family home just got swept away um, and they lost their parents. And, you know, the town was then dealing with what are these kids going to do? But just this, that was all that was left was the foundation. And I want to share that picture with you because that is the picture that Paul is going to share with us this morning in Corinthians. This idea that, that we can end up with only the foundation left. We've been doing this series in Corinthians. This is actually week number eight, would you believe, in Corinthians. And we're just going to start reading again from verse 1 out of chapter 3. We're going to read down, and our passage for this morning starts at verse 10, but I want us to have the context for it this morning. So read with me. I've got an NIV up here on the screen and in front of me, um, but please read along. Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? But when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then we had a look at some of these questions about conflict the last time we were in Corinthians and about what conflict causes in the body and that for Paul it's a huge flashing red light to do with our growth and our maturity and our development. And we talked about some of the things we can do around that. But when we go on to verse 10, this is our passage for this morning. It says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Literally, an architect is the word that's used. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. And in your Bible, it's probably got a capital D. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred or holy, and you together are that temple. Really full on. If you highlight and underline different things as you go along in your Bible, I just want to bring a couple things to your attention. 
And then we're going to hopefully just sit and let Paul's main point sink in for us. A couple things first. The word here in verse 10, by the grace God has given me, is literally the word gift. Uh, we've talked before about how in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings, the word kara or charis, from where we get the word charismatic or, or someone who is gifted. Paul is saying that this is actually the gift God has given him. He's just finished talking about each one labors according to what God has given them to do as different laborers. And here he says, this is what God gave him to do. God got him to lay a foundation. That's why up here, the first person, personal pronouns, me and I are in red. And you'll notice in the rest of this passage, after Paul laid the foundation, it's now out of his hands. What happens in the Corinthian church is now out of the hands of Paul. It's actually no longer his responsibility what the Corinthians bring before the Lord on the day. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. The word there for wise builder is actually the only time we ever find Paul use that phrase. And it literally means architect, someone who oversees the entire project. That was his role, was to turn up as an apostle and to establish something. And then he says, someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. No one can remove this foundation, the foundation of Christ from the church. No one can actually change that. No one is in charge of whether or not God's church is based on Jesus. That is not up for grabs. That's not up for negotiation. But for us, it's up to us what we build on top of that foundation. Verse 12, this is really the crux of what Paul is talking about here. If anyone builds on this foundation, that is Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. And the, the, the word there for day is apocalypsis. It's talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord. Verse 13, Paul goes on to say, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Sometimes we don't like to hear about the day where we stand before God and where we give account. It is very real for Paul, and it needs to be very real for us. There is a day coming where you and I will stand before the Lord, and what we have built not just as individuals, but as God's people on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ will be tested with fire. Now, I want, to, I want us to pause with Paul's imagery here, and I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon on this right now. But when we see the Lord represent himself throughout Scripture, one of the ways that God chooses to turn up is with supernatural fire. We see it turn up on Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal um, and, and the Lord showing that he is who he claims to be. We see the Lord interrupting um, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace. The Lord interrupts. We see it with the burning bush, that the burning bush is on fire and it's not consumed. We see it when the Israelites are in the wilderness and it's a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. We see it when the Holy Spirit comes on all those, more than a 100 who were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, that they had tongues as of fire separate and come upon their heads. When God 
chooses to show up. We have, we have these phrases that the Lord is a consuming fire. So it should not surprise us then that we see this picture about on the day of judgment, what we bring to the Lord is the sum total of our life, our time, our energy, our resources, the things that we have valued, the things that we have, that we have invested ourselves in. And what happens is the very fire of God is the thing that shows what our life has been worth. And there are two very different pictures here. One is gold, silver, and costly stones, and the other is wood, hay, and straw. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And the word for reward literally means their wages. If on the day of the Lord, when you stand before him, the stuff that you are made of, the key pieces of your life and of your person, of who you are and of how you are, if that passes through this assessment, if it passes through the fire of literally God's assessment, God's judgment, then you have something precious to present to the Lord. The foundation is already supplied by him. The foundation is Christ. But what you build on it is up to you. And if you have something to present to the Lord Jesus Christ, it says here that then he will give you your reward. When I was a kid, I remember there was a lot of teaching that pushed in the church back against anything to do with works. We cannot earn our salvation. We don't try and earn our salvation because when we try and do that, um, it makes the blood of Christ worth less. It means that I'm trying to affect my own salvation. A whole lot of teaching like that, which is really good teaching. But we have to also keep in mind passages like this that say, you know what, your decisions count for something. The way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you speak to people, the way you invest in other things, the, the stuff of your life means something before the Lord. Verse 15, if it is burnt up, if it is wood, hay, and stubble, or wood, hay, and straw, if it is something that is not of eternal value to the Most High God, you will still be saved. Your salvation does not leave you in that event, because the foundation is Christ, and Christ is enough. But it says here, you will be saved as one escaping through the flames. Pretty confronting. We'll deal with verse 16 and 17 in just a moment. I want to make a couple of points here about really obvious things. First thing is the outcome of the kingdom of God for Corinth does not rest with Paul. And the outcome of what you do with your life in light of the salvation of Jesus Christ does not rest with the apostle Paul. Does not rest with any apostle. The outcome of your life does not rest with any pastor. It does not rest with your family members. It does not rest with anyone else. It rests with you. 
what you build on the foundation of Jesus in your life is a product of your decisions. And the day of the Lord is going to show what we are made of, whether we like that or not. The measure of what is valuable in our life will be made plain. And everyone and everything will pass through the fire. The truth will be evident. It's possible that this thought is, at the moment, a really confronting thought for some of us in this room, for most of us in this room. But man, it's good for prioritizing. Going, you know what? Yeah, there's, there's been stuff I've been really, really caught up about. Or there's stuff that I've allowed myself to treat as really valuable and that I need to give my attention to rather than going, you know what? On the day of the Lord, what is this going to be worth? We've talked before about things that are temporary and things that are eternal. Let's keep this passage in mind as we do that. And I'm not preaching this this morning because my life is only full of eternal things. I'm preaching this this morning because I need to hear this. What passes through the fire is the result of our decisions. It's easy sometimes when we read this or something like this to start thinking about other people, friends, neighbors, family members, and even internally, even just in our imagination, to point the finger at others and to think that their life is full of insignificant things. I want us this morning to try really hard to get through to ourselves. We must, we must, we must continually measure our decisions and our values against the Most High God. This must be the measure. What is valuable to God? What kind of person am I? What is the content of my heart? What do I give my time to? Is it valuable to God? We can see pretty clearly out of something like this that we have to talk about obedience. It is possible for a person to set up a huge international corporation. We've used this picture before and to employ hundreds of thousands of people and to make hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. But if it is not in obedience to the Lord, then on the day, the, the parousia, the day of the Lord, the apocalypsis, it's wood, hay, and stubble. If we live a life of obedience, if we aim to have our values being the values of God, then it may not look flashy to everyone else. It may not look powerful or influential in the eyes of the world. Let's remember this passage that we're reading this morning is in the context of Paul talking about wisdom and foolishness. To obey God may look like foolishness until the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
we see God's values throughout Scripture play out. We see that God, as we've already heard this morning, gold and silver in earthly terms are not particularly valuable to the Lord. No matter how much money we have in the bank or don't have, what's valuable to God is our heart. God never had a prophet confront David about the way he was spending the royal treasury. But when David needed to repent, God's messenger turned up. We see Jesus sitting and watching people at the temple. And regardless of how much money was in the temple treasury, he went through with a whip when people were misrepresenting the Lord. And then he celebrated when a, when a poor old woman gave her last two copper coins. God's values are different to the world's values. We see this in his conversation with the centurion or Nicodemus or the woman at the well. When he reaches out to lepers, when he goes and heals cripples, the values of God are different to our values. How important is this to God? Verse 16 and verse 17 says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You are God's temple. You are God's building. If Jesus Christ has become your foundation, then you are the place that God inhabits. And God will turn up where that foundation is, regardless of what you build. But it means that what you build is is then that space that God inhabits. If you build a life filled with temporary things, things that are actually meaningless, and you, and you are wanting God to be involved in your life, don't be surprised if God is challenging what you are giving your time and your energy and your life to. Don't be surprised sometimes when God wants to remove part of your life and to put something else in. We are God's temple. You are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst. And here is our warning, verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, in other words, if anyone destroys what someone else is building in their life for the sake of Christ, someone else's faith, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. It means it belongs to God. And you together are that temple. It means we have to take very, very seriously the kind of attitude we have with the church family. Some of you have heard the phrase before, you know, um, there's only one accuser of the brethren and the position has been filled. We've got to be careful sometimes the attitude that we have with fellow Christians, with our brothers and our sisters and with the church, with the church family, with other church gatherings that get together, with denominations, with, with small groups, with ministries. We've got to be careful what we do because together we are the temple of God. So our question this morning is really, A very simple one to say, but an incredibly confronting one. If everything in our life is going to pass through the fire, my question is this, what are we made of? When we have passed through the fire, 
what will be left? Is it going to be a bare foundation platform with nothing left on top of it, like that concrete slab in Grantham? Is that actually what is going to be left? Are there some things in our life then that we need to seriously address that we need the Lord to remove? Are there some dust collectors inside of us, things that we've held on to which maybe don't have an eternal purpose or an eternal value but, but we're too attached to part with? The Puritan author Thomas Watson was talking about repentance. When we are aware that we need to repent, that the worst enemy of repentance is apathy. The worst reason that a person does not repent is that they cannot be bothered. And again, it's no use us coming and having a look at passages of Scripture like this if we're not prepared to actually go away and do something about it. The construction is the person. You are God's temple. And there will be a day where we stand before the Lord and God brings his fire to his temple. So what would it look like if we were prepared to do that now rather than waiting to the day of judgment? What would it look like if right now, today, this morning, this week, we actually sat with the Lord and asked him to draw near to us with his holy fire to actually start purifying us and getting stuff out of us and out of our hearts now so that we could build differently in our life. What would that look like? Are we brave enough to pray that kind of prayer? In one way, this um, a passage of Scripture like this is sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card for pastors because there's only two words in red in this passage and they're right at the start. Paul laid the foundation. So it would be really, really easy for me to stand here and go, cool, your problem, go have fun with that. We, we are on this journey together. I want you to be built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I need you to build me up in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to repent together. We need to confess our sins together. We need to seek help from one another. We need to to get support from one another and encouragement from one another. That is how we are supposed to function. If you do not have the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life, then I encourage you in light of passages of Scripture like this, Search for yourself. If this morning there is something in your heart, if there is something in my heart, any one of us, that we know the Spirit of God has his finger on saying, I want to address this, then please do not let the morning or the day go past without being obedient. Ultimately, we are not in charge of what is of eternal value. Our Father in heaven is, and we need to listen and we need to obey. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do one more song to finish this morning.
Lord God, sometimes your word is is like walking into a brick wall and and just being confronted powerfully and 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 sternly that we are ultimately not in control, but you are. And that all the things that we fill our life with ultimately have a measure beyond simply what we want or what makes us feel good or or comfortable or any of those things. Lord God, I ask that you would help us to make hard decisions, the hard decisions about where we're going to put our time, what we're going to give our our thinking and our heart energy and, and space to, what we're going to be passionate about. Lord God, please convict us. Please remind us. Please don't let us wander off where there is something that we want to get rid of out of our own life. Lord, as we wrestle and struggle with that, help us to find supporting and encouraging voices here in this community of faith, people that we can can find confidentiality in to to confess what's really going on, people who who are going to help us journey towards you. Lord God, please, please help those conversations to happen. Lord God, I ask that you would help us to be scared, to have a righteous fear of you, to see you in in the proper light, that you are God and we are not, that you are the creator, that we are the creation. Lord God, we commit ourselves to you and we ask that Again, as you have spoken to us, you would continue speaking in and through us. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.